Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. We are back with Dan Wright, his book, The CIA UFO Papers. Dan, you you break down in a, in a great way years uh, of UFOs uh, by various categories, but 1952 seemed to be a very interesting year. What happened then? What made it so important? The years 1949, 50, 51, only had a very few then suddenly in 52, for no apparent reason, they were all over the world all the time. Um, I recorded events in, let's see, in April in Roseville, Michigan, and the same day in Yuma, Arizona. On May 1, there was one over George Air Force Base in California, and also in early May over Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi. There was something on May 21 in Barcelona, back to the U.S. on the 29th in San Antonio, on June 1st in a West African county or country called Gabon, and then in July an East German father and daughter had quite a close encounter. There was something also in July in the Netherlands, and this led up to something probably your viewers have heard before about July 19 and 20 that night, and then six days later on the 26th, radars at Andrews Air Force Base and at Washington National Airport, as well as onboard radars on airliners, tracked several unknowns. They were tremendous in size, moving radically up and down and sideways. The could not call in fighter interceptors because, as it happened, Andrews Air Force Base was repaving all of its runways. Oh, my God. They had nothing there, right? So they had sent all their fighters to a base in Delaware. Well, they called over there and said, something's happening here in the skies. you got to come over and look. Well, there was a long delay. The Air Force really bungled this. But along by 3 in the morning, finally a couple of jets arrived, and as they got within radar range of D.C., these unknowns boogied at great speed. The jets didn't see anything and so left again, and as soon as they were out of radar range, the unknowns came back. Was there some concern that it was Soviet? There was for a while, but the Office of Strategic Intelligence, of, uh, of Scientific Intelligence within the CIA, assured their s- superiors that no, this was not of foreign origin. Neither were they American um, experimental craft. And also in '52, weren't there UFOs over the Capitol? That was on the July 19 and 20. And again, at the, on the 26th, not necessarily over the Capitol building, but certainly over D.C. And, and these were seen by people, witnesses, right? Yes, there were people on the ground, as well as the radars picking them up. It was clear to everyone that something very odd was happening. It's just that they didn't have any fighter interceptor support to take care of it. Did they get much media exposure, Dan? Sorry, uh, Say that again. Did they get much media exposure? 
Oh, it was all over the newspapers the next morning, yes. And what did they conclude? What did they say? Um, the uh, On August 1st, after these two wild nights in late July, another arm of the CIA assured the public that this was nothing special, that these were all... Um, uh, Sure. What's the word? Um, temperature inversion. Oh, wow. <laughs> that caused the radar anomalies, despite what everybody had seen. Now, back in uh, 1953, there was a panel that was put together called the Robertson Panel, named after uh, uh, Howard Robertson. Tell me about that. By late 52, the Office of Strategic Intelligence, as well as um, or scientific intelligence, as well as um, other parts of the CIA, were growing very frustrated that the public wasn't buying what they were selling, that they were never going to convince the public that this was normal stuff until they brought hard science to bear. And so they recruited a professor named Howard Robertson, who brought along... Um, four other physicists, and they got together in January of 53 at the OSI offices in the CIA. Now, the CIA was very reticent to have the public understand that they had anything to do with this because of the fear that um, they were hiding something, that the public would panic so they always, always insisted on anonymity throughout all the decades that the Central Intelligence Agency was involved. In January of 53, this group of five scientists got together at the OSI offices for about 12 hours over four days. They looked at a couple of uh, films, a couple of photos, and gave can't look at about 15 other just accounts from around the country. The um, One of the films was taken by, as it happened, a U.S. Navy photographer, a career photographer, and he said he saw 10 discs in the high sky and filmed them for a couple of minutes. After coming up with no real solution, the CIA proclaimed that they that he had been um, filming either balloons. You know, it would be curious that you'd have ten or a dozen balloons all floating together. That's right. Or seagulls. And they did the same kind of treatment on one other short film that was taken at a minor league ballpark in Oregon, and a few photos. These were all normal things that were grossly misidentified. And that was their report. The Robertson report just uh, put the kibosh on all things UFO related. Almost like uh, the Project Blue Book, where they just, you know, collected info and then uh, poo-pooed it later. Yes, and how they wrapped it up with the uh, report from 1969 that again said, all of this stuff is nonsense. The public is disillusioned and delusional. Forget it. 
What did they say about groups that started to pop up that were very scientific, like NICAP? I was a member of that when I was a kid, but that was put together by Donald Kehoe, uh, who was in the military. Right. And uh, he had attracted some very staunch researchers. What did they say about groups like that? Yeah, well, this APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Right, that was another one. Coral and Jim Lorenzen. They drew great suspicion from the Robertson group. Um, They saw this group as potentially subversive and to um, keep at more than arm's length. They had um, a grudging respect for NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which was headed by um, Donald Kehoe, who was a retired Marines major. So he had some cred for that. And they grudgingly said, okay, he's got a fine organization here. It's, it's loosely structured, but they do have investigators. They have a manual uh, of procedures. They have 3,500 members. Okay, they may have something going, but they still have the potential to be subversive. So both of these groups and any others along the way were to be not just kept at arm's length, but to be monitored, to be surveilled. And we don't know anything about the particulars of that, just that the order came down, surveil these organizations. Now, we have talked a lot on this program, Dan, about the Bent Waters case in Britain, Mm -hmm. an incredible UFO case, but... You kind of allude that there was a much earlier incident at that same location. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, it was 1956, and the uh, Bentwaters, which was an American air base, saw a number of unknowns in the sky at the same time, up to a dozen. And as they're watching them on radar not visually, the, all of these blips coalesced into one huge blip, which then traveled several thousand miles an hour in literally the wink of an eye they were off the radar. Then they came back and um, disappeared while they were central to the radar screens. So that... Um, set a lot of hair standing up on the necks of, of the analysts. Might they have been the same craft that eventually became the Bentwaters case? May have been. At this time in 56, it was just the repeated appearances of something on radar. Uh, there were a scattered few airmen on the grounds and maybe one pilot who saw something in the distance, but still to them it was just a bright light. So I can't tell you really what it was, just that it was really there, and then they tried their best to say, no, it never really happened. The fact that the CIA did this back 50 years ago, and now we're hearing reports of what the the government spent $22 million for more types of reports, it's never stopped, has it? No, it never really has. Um, in all of my experience as an investigator and then on the MUFON board, I always found that locally, 
state police and and airports um, gave great cooperation. I never had any kind of problem with them at all. But you get up to the national level, and that's where you ran into the resistance, where the policy was coming down and UFOs were not going to be the policy. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.